You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, please take a seat, everyone. I wonder, we are currently halfway through the book of Leviticus, and I wonder how you're finding it so far, what you've learned, what's changed, what your thoughts are. And I thought we'd do a quick check-in about the book of Leviticus. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 15 seconds to think of the first word that comes to mind when you think about the book of Leviticus, particularly after the last five or so weeks we've spent in it. Spend 15 seconds, first word that comes to mind, and I want you to share that with the person next to you. Can we do that? Can we do that? Yeah, Yeah, all right. Let's spend 15 seconds now thinking of our word. And once you've thought about it, you can share it with your neighbour. All right, everyone. I, I wonder if anyone would be brave enough to share with us, what's the first word that pops into your head when you think about the book of Leviticus? Who wants to share Holy. What other words? Rules, laws, details, justice. These are good words. Did anyone say grace? A few people. Good. You've been listening. The interesting thing is that I think if, for most of us, if we started the book of Leviticus, the word that would come to mind would be rules or laws or legislations. In fact, when I was growing up as a young Christian, a number of my friends who might have called themselves Christians, but they've got questions, they've got doubts, one of the things they would often say to me is, Christianity is just all about the rules. God loves rules. There's just so many rules. You, you open up the Bible and there's rule after rule after rule. That must be what Christianity is all about, following the rules. God loves rules. Big rules, small rules, everywhere rules. And that idea that God loves rules pops up in lots of different ways. I remember uh, I once went on a holiday with uh, one of my best friends. I was about 15, 16, and his dad started talking to me about faith. His dad's name was Ian. He said to me, Jimmy, uh, I've got to be honest with you. Like, I I respect religion, but I've I've read all the major religious texts. I've I've read the Quran. I've read the Bible. I've read the Vedas. and, And when it comes down to it, It just feels like the idea behind all the religions, keep the rules, be nice, and things will work out. Maybe you've heard something like that before. Or maybe we have a a maybe more Christian version of that where we go, well, I've read the New Testament and Jesus seems full of love and of grace and of kindness and mercy. But man, the Old Testament... It's full of rules. It's full of law. God seems mean. And so maybe the Old Testament is about rules and law, and the New Testament is about grace and mercy and kindness. And you kind of end up with the Old Testament and the New Testament in combat with one another, right? Or the God of the Old Testament and Jesus not on the same page. And what it all boils down to this idea is that Christianity is all about the rules. It's all about the rules. And, and it will be easy to think that about the book of Leviticus. Because 
of all the books in the Bible, Leviticus is a book about rules. There's rules for everything. There's rules for offerings. There's rules for festivals. There's rules for purity. There's rules for morality. There's rules about the rules. It's rules, rules, rules. And it would be so easy for us to join in on the idea that God loves rules, that Christianity, when it all boils down to it, is all about the rules. Except it's not. It's not about the rules at all. And actually, what I want to do this morning is convince you that not only is the New Testament, but the whole Bible is about grace, first and foremost. I've got three things that by the end of this message, I want to convince you of. They're on the screen. I want to convince you that the Old and New Testament is first and foremost about God's grace. I want to convince you that the rules are never about the rules. And I want to convince you that when God does give us rules, instead of them being burdensome and irrelevant and strange, they actually show us His heart. And I want to do all of this from Leviticus chapter 19, which is a book, chapter, all about rules. Because Leviticus chapter 19 belongs to a section of Leviticus looking at moral purity. Moral purity meaning morality, that is the standards of good behavior and bad behavior that we accept. This is what we expect good behavior to look like. This is what bad behavior looks like. This is what good character looks like. This is what bad behavior looks like. And there's two sections to Leviticus 19, particularly the ones that we've read out. There's a section about holy living before a holy God, and there's a section about honest living with our neighbours. So let's, let's take a look. So we look at chapter, uh, verse 3, and it starts off in a strange place. It says, Every one of you shall revere or honour his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbath, for I am the Lord your God. And every single parent in the room said, Amen, and every single child said, (sighs) It seems like a strange place to start, doesn't it? But actually, in the economy of Israel, mothers and fathers are stand-ins for God, particularly for young kids. They're not necessarily going to the temple to spend time with God at this point. And so they would have seen their mother and father as a stand-in for God. That's why they're so important. Because keep my Sabbath, that's very important. We've seen that time and time again. Don't turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal, for I am the Lord your God. This has just come off the back of Moses going up the mountain and Israel, are they being obedient? No, they make a gold calf. They start worshipping that instead of the Lord. This makes sense, right? This makes sense. Verse 5, when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, Offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burnt up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, it will not be accepted. If we go to the next slide, this is being a bit faulty today. And anyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. That's that's a bit strange, except the peace offering is all about relationship with God. 
all about relationship with God. He's like, don't, when, when you've brought me a sacrifice that indicates relation, don't put that off for another day. The time to eat it is right now, right here. This is holy living before a holy God. Don't delay. Don't get distracted. Make me the center. And then from verse 9 onwards, it starts to talk about honest living. And these reflect quite largely the Ten Commandments. So it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. God cares very much for the poor and for the foreigner, which is another word for alien, the sojourner. In Israel, if you didn't own land... If you didn't have money, if you didn't have property, it was a really, really difficult life. And God said, no, we've got to care for the lowest and the least. Don't harvest all your fields. Leave some for those who have nothing. It goes on in verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Pay people when you said you'd pay them. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slander among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. And you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Most of us would have no issues with lots of that, right? Take care of the poor, don't lie, don't slander, be honest, live humbly, don't kill people. Sounds good, right? Most of us, even if we haven't grown up in the church, we go, this sounds good. But the, re- the thing that reverberates in my head is why this? Why has God chosen this set of rules, this set of characteristics, this set of morality? Well, he actually tells us in the first two verses. So this is part of what Sam read out, but in verse 1 and 2, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy. As we read out, you might have picked up that that statement happens again and again and again and again. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. You are my people. I am the Lord your God. In fact, it happens just in this section seven times, but in the whole of Leviticus 19, it's repeated 16 different times. I am the Lord your God, which is God saying we have history. We have a relationship together. You know what I'm like. I know what you are like. You can look throughout history to see how I have loved you. This is rules and commandments born out in the context of relationship. And this is where so many of us get things twisted when it comes to rules in the Bible. Because what we think is that if we keep all the rules, 
then God will give us a relationship, and out of that relationship, He will give us grace. That as long as we keep all of God's laws, then we get to have a relationship, and then we get to experience God's grace and His blessing and His mercy. But actually, it's the opposite of that. From Old to New Testament, what we see again and again and again is that God gives grace to His people, which enables them to have a relationship with Him, and out of that relationship... He calls them to obedience. The timeline is not obedience, obedience, relationship, grace. It's grace, relationship, obedience again and again and again. God calls, or God creates Adam and Eve in an act of pure grace. He breathes life into their lungs. He makes them from the dirt. He has this special relationship with them. They walk with him and he walks with them. And only then does he say, hey, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Grace, relationship, called to obedience. God calls Abram out of his people, an act of pure grace. He tells them, if you follow me, I'll bless you. The nations around you will be blessed because of you. I will protect you. You will be my people. I will be your God. We will have a relationship. And only then does he call him to obedience. God protects Moses, an act of pure grace, both in his younger years as a child floating down the river. He protects him in his youth. He protects him in the wilderness. He has a special relationship with him, and only then does he call him to obedience. Grace, relationship, obedience. And this is what we've seen time and time again already in the book of Leviticus. Remember at the start of Leviticus, Israel cannot draw near to God. Moses cannot draw near to God. They can't even go up on his mountain or they will die. So what does God do? He makes a way. Grace. He makes a way and then what happens? Well, evil happens. Israel besmirches the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, by the misdeeds and death of Nadab and Abihu. And what does God do to cleanse it? That's the big question. How are we going to be made clean? God makes a way grace. And now they've got this whole system of sacrifices and offerings to cleanse us, but there's some people who just can't give offerings. So what does God do? He brings in the Day of Atonement, which is every single person in the nation of Israel has their sins atoned for, has their sins forgiven in an act of pure grace. Leviticus has been grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And only now, 19 chapters in, does God say, We have grace, we have relationship, let me call you to obedience. The Old Testament and New is not first and foremost about the rules, it's about grace again and again and again and again. Which means that the rules are never really about the rules. Go to the next slide. I've got two wonderful beautiful kids, uh, who are in a wonderful, beautiful, terrifying stage of life known as being toddlers, which means that if there is a, anything that is slightly dangerous, that is where they gravitate immediately. They spot it out. They sniff it out. like, that is dangerous. That is where we're going. Please tell me that stops at some point. I think I'm going to be uh, disappointed there. 
If there is a road, they run to it. If there is something that is hot, they want to touch it. If there is something that is high, that means they'll fall off and hurt themselves, that's where they want to be. Time and time again, they want to go to what is dangerous. So what do we do? We have rules. right? We have rules such as when we walk near a road, we're going to hold hands. Or when someone's cooking on the stove, we're not near them. Or let's not dance on the table. right? All really good rules. And they're not rules because we love rules. They're rules because we love them. They're rules because we have a special relationship with them and we have a responsibility to make sure that they stay alive and that they're well-formed, that they're humble, that they're honouring, that they're God-fearing young men. We don't have rules because we love rules. We have rules because we love them and want to see them succeed. We want to see them formed. We want to see them shaped. The rules are not really about the rules. It's about formation. It's about being shaped. And it's the exact same thing in the book of Leviticus. In the next slide on chapter 19, God says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This is the positive formation. I have given you these rules, not because I love these rules, but because I want you to be holy. I want you to be like me. I want you to be separate. I want you to be good. I want you to be shaped to be more like me. I love you more than you love yourself. Our kids often don't see what the point of the rules is. They either don't see or they think we're killjoys or they just don't understand. But we see. And God sees that there is a point to all of this. The point is that we shall be holy, just like God is holy. But there's also a negative formation. In chapter 18, God says, You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. He's saying, don't be like the nations around you. I'm forming you towards me and I'm separating you away from these other insane nations with their insane behaviors and rules and laws. I want you to be like me and I want you not to be like them. I want to form you and separate you. And we hear those words and go, man, formation and separation, that seems pretty intense. God doesn't want us to be spend time with these people. He wants us to be like this. Except that's exactly what happens every single time you enter into the big bad store of Coles. You enter into Coles supermarket, they want to form you to only shop there and to never shop at Woolworths ever again. They want to form you to be loyal consumers to them and they want to separate you from all the other places where you might spend your money. This happens everywhere we go. And the big idea is simply this. If you can't enter into Coles without being formed. What makes you think that you can enter into the presence of a holy God and stay the same? We cannot enter into the presence of God and stay the same. God has given them a precious gift, his very presence. They cannot stay the same as a nation. I'm calling you to holy obedience, not because I love rules, but because I love you. And we have a special relationship, and I'm calling you to more because of that special relationship relationship. It's about presence. And it's interesting that we often think of the Old Testament as the place of rules, except Peter 
in the New Testament makes literally the same argument. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I think we've heard that before somewhere. Probably because he's literally quoting the book of Leviticus. The same idea remains. If you have a special relationship with God, which you do because of grace, then that relationship should change you. Our day-to-day decisions and choices and behaviors should reflect that we have a special relationship with the God of all creation. We cannot stay the same. Peter assumes and Moses presumes that when you come into contact with God, you change, not him. And in what ways do you change? What does it look like to be changed by entering into a relationship with God? Well, it comes down to four simple letters. What is all this about? L-O-V-E, love. All of the commandments in the book of Leviticus can be boiled down to love in one of two directions. You either love God or in loving your neighbor. That's what it's all about, which is why on the next slide, when God does give us rules, rather than being a burden, rather than being overwhelming, they show us his heart. Why does God give us his rules? Because he cares for us and he cares for people. God loves us more than we love ourselves and he calls us to love our neighbor just as we have been loved by God. This is why when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the book of Matthew? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. When it boils down to it, Christianity has two rules. Love God and love others. And the questions that we should be asking ourselves is, what does loving God require of us? What does loving our neighbor require of me? Because the rules are not exhaustive, but the mentality is the same. What does it look like for me to love God, and what does it look like for me to love my neighbor? Because I can do all the rules, but I might not love God, and I might not love my neighbor, which is why it's not about the rules. I wonder how many of you have seen the marshmallow experiment before, where a young child is given a marshmallow, and then the person giving the marshmallow says, hey, I'm just going away for a bit. If you can hold on to this marshmallow and not eat it, I will give you another marshmallow. I'll double your marshmallows. And it's almost always that as soon as the parent or the person leaves the room, it's like within 15 seconds sometimes, the marshmallow is eaten. They cannot help themselves. Neither can we when it comes to the rules. So we tend to think that God is all about the rules, but actually it's mostly because we just love breaking all the rules. It's not that God loves rules, it's we love breaking them. We cannot help ourselves. 
And so we're so keenly aware of all the rules that God has because we think that the rules are what gives us a relationship with God and that's where we get grace. And so we feel the oppressive weight of the law when actually all it does is show us how inadequate we are. I can't even keep these two rules. I don't love God the way I should. I don't love my neighbor the way I should. So thank God that he is not all about the rules. Thank God that the timeline doesn't go rules, obedience, relationship, grace. Thank God that our relationship is built on grace. Thank God for Jesus who takes my place for all my rule breaking. God is not all about the rules. We are all about breaking them though. So thank God the Bible, first and foremost, is about grace, not about the rules. Thank God that the rules are never about the rules. They point to something deeper. They point to God's love and care. Thank God that the Bible is filled with grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace for those who think they keep the rules. Grace for those who think they break the rules. God gives us His grace and mercy And out of that calls us to obedience. And friends, my prayer is that more and more and more our relationship with God will be fueled and centered on the grace that he has given us rather than our performance and obedience in our rule keeping. Because if our relationship with God is built on rule keeping, we will live lives constantly disappointed with ourselves, constantly feeling distant from God, But if we live lives on grace, that is a gift that God has given that cannot be taken from us. Entirely of his free merit, God will be big in our minds and we get to enjoy the fruits of a loving, merciful, kind relationship with him. So let me pray that that will be true for us. God, we thank you for the book of Leviticus and what it shows us. We thank you for the reminder that you are not all about the rules. That you have rules not because they are the means of entering into a relationship with you, but they are the context in which we reflect how great you are. God, we thank you that grace comes first every time. That you pour out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in our lives. God, I pray for the people right now who feel like they've blown it who feel like all they've done is fail, who feel all they've done is break the rules, knowingly, consciously, have left your good design. God, would you show them that your relationship with them is not based on their rule-breaking, but instead on grace? And God, I pray for the person right now who feels confident that they've kept all the rules, who feels that they've met all the standards, that their relationship with you is based on their performance. God, would you show them the folly of their way and show them that a relationship based on grace is so much greater than one constantly living off performance. God, would you pour out your grace over us as your people. Help us see you love us, you are with us, and you call us to obedience out of that. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.